seems like it's been an age since we've done one of these podcasts. But this is Casey Roberts and myself answering some questions by Year 13 student Jackie about our directing of our version of Children of the Poor by Mervyn Thompson. Now, Jackie asked us some questions and I ummed and ahed a lot and Casey was exceptionally intelligent. But this may be part one because Jackie may need more. But if we were erudite enough, it might not be. I hope you enjoy it. So the first thing we're going to look at is the themes of Children of the Poor. Casey, go for it. Starting off, we've got uh, poverty, which is one of our major themes, which also transcends into the poverty cycle and the whole concept of the epic theatre form of switching Albanese really highlights the fact of the poverty cycle as well as nothing can be changed. Because it happens to everybody. It's not like just this one story. Mm. Um, and that's why it's we, it's historificized. Is that a word? It's historical. <laughs> and it shows you that um, it can happen to anyone no matter where they are. And that's that final line. Is mm. there nothing that can be changed? It's to challenge the audience to think about it. Yeah. Because the reality is what we're talking about or what you see in the play is historical, mm. historical poverty. But, you know, there's still child prostitution. There's still it's, babies yeah, that die. It but, still relates to today really well. And I think that was one of... That's probably the most important theme, would mm. you say? Yeah. There's, there's underlying themes as well. There's sexism. There's racism mm. that comes into that as well. Abuse. Yeah, yes. there's abuse too. But I guess they all connect in with the idea of poverty mm. and all those... Um, you know, the tendrils that come off the idea of the poverty cycle. And mm. immigration as well, because he was an immigrant. Mm. And it's like you can't make a break and you can't change things. Was there a specific thing in, like, the play that really highlighted the thing? Like if we're looking at poverty, poverty, we're looking at that Albany was every man and that was why we switched out the Albanese. Mm. And it wasn't just every man, it was every woman as well. Yeah. So we switched to multiple actors, to okay. showing that it's not just to one person. Mm. We also, if you have a look at the idea of the staging, um, Albany was always down low. He had the lowest area. He was, very, uh, he was hardly ever able to rise up. If he did rise up, it was when he was on a job and he was doing something for somebody else and he felt worth and he would run up and he would be high but then he would always come down. Mm. So he never was able to rise above his level and point. The use of the hand-me-down, so when they changed the characters, they changed the, um, the bag and the waistcoat would be changed as well, which was representational props and costume, but it also showed that you know, it just kept on happening, the idea of mm. the poverty and the hand-me-down of the poverty. And mm. again, it's that whole poverty cycle. I don't know if there's a scene where, which particularly stood out to you. What do you reckon, Casey? Mm. Look, I think, yeah, I think it all comes really under Albany. Like, Albany really yeah. drives it through. Um, you could probably look at Mother as well and how her sort of childhood and effect on the family consistently, like, it forces Rose into realising she has to fend for the family, so she loses her entire childhood. Um, Albany loses a chance at a proper education because he has to work as well. D Douglas, I think, at the end we found out Douglas 
never really got anywhere even though he tried mm. so it was really that whole drag the poverty cycle really just dragged the family down no matter how hard or what they wanted to achieve trying to pinpoint it to an exact time mm. is difficult yeah um throughout the whole piece we use the idea of those projections mm. and those projections would um, signal what was going to be happening next and there are times that talked about poverty and poverty cycle and at the very end it used statistics of today and poverty cycle you know poverty of today and the percentage of kids who live in poverty in New Zealand and in Northland because it really cuts home in Northland mm -hmm. especially now with people you know the economic downturns because of covid and the, and you know the tightening of all of those things and those issues and people losing jobs so bringing people back to see that it actually hits here mm -hmm. and if they are able to sit back and reflect about what they saw and think about now maybe yeah i think that's when it hit the audience the hardest was probably the end with the statistics and the whole breaking of the character and the whole straight through to the audience mm, the direct address yeah. so important there's that scene where it's um Christmas and all the other kids are running around and they've got toys and they've got food and they're having an amazing time and the three kids are just watching them and um, they're different because everybody else around them has everything and they don't feel that they can be honest and tell people about that mm. and so they lie, Rose lies, oh I got this and I got that um, just because she wants to be able to fit in but the reality is she doesn't feel like she can be honest about a situation and I think that's something that could happen now yeah you know the experience of like breakfast in schools it's not the kids that really need the, the, the food that go because the kids who really need it are too embarrassed yeah and it's that whole shame thing I like show the ages of Albany because like through it he like got older and older Mm, he did. Mm. So they were specifically directed. So they worked out what their ages were, and then they were specifically directed to act, to act and bring their techniques out of that age. So we looked at the use of body, mm. um, and so the younger Albanese were looser and more, you know, and more kind of. Um, energetic in their movement mm. but all at all times they had to make sure that they were not younger than Douglas who was the youngest brother mm. we had to look at their voice techniques and thinking about when the age of the voice would have cracked when that would have happened and their use of space as well you know young Albany was happy to get into people's space and hug and hold and fight and that sort of stuff but as Albany was damaged over time went on then he would remove himself mm. also started wearing things differently Mm. wearing their sh their trousers differently mm. so they were rolled up as a child as they became older they no longer had the shorts so the idea of you know becoming more mature that mm. way just slightly different things to trigger the fact that they had aged yeah I feel like throughout their whole response to Rose leading up to the end they considered her as like a secondary mother figure because she took them under her wing so I feel like it didn't really matter what age they were they always um, they would question or they, they always look up to her um, which I guess in turn also damaged Rose because she lost her entire childhood to having to raise a family. Yeah the responsibility of having to be that as well mm. uh, for her. So the use of technologies now because we wanted to perform this in an epic way there's heaps of different technologies mm. so first of all we had the projection 
and we used projection right from the beginning because we had all of the individual actors' photos right from the beginning in black and white. Um, and that was important to try and show that they were actors. We also used projection for all of the scene introductions and all of those, and so it broke the naturalistic playing of the piece. Um, and there would have been, there's about 23 of those? Yeah. 23 different interruptions. Um, and the projection we used as well for the Chinese man. Mm. Um, and that wasn't initially going to be a projection, but because of what happened and we wanted to keep that actor, we chose to project his face up there, which all of a sudden made him even more menacing yeah. and more terrifying because he came big. And it's almost like if you saw that scary Chinese man through the young child Albany's eyes, he would have been that big. Yeah. The lights would have been that red. He would have been that disembodied. Yeah. So he wasn't seen as a person. He was seen as some form of entity, which made it all the more menacing and how that intercut. So the actors acted with the projection. Um, which I think turned out really, really successful yeah. in regards to making him being this omnipotent, horrible presence. And when you consider that he was a client of Rose's and you suddenly realise what was happening behind those closed doors, that was horrific. Mm. And the idea that the repeat of those lines, you know, have a cup of tea, little boy, and it gets repeated all the way through the place, so it shows what a dominant experience that was for Albany. Mm. We also used projection for the drag queen section, which is in the vaudeville, just to break it up and for, I guess for make it a fundal effect, you know, to actually distance the audience from what was happening and make them go, whoa, whoa why have we got a drag queen here now? Mm. And then back to normal. We had a heavy use of sound and the sound not only did um, music, they also did sound effects. I don't know if you were, there were the ticking of the clocks throughout it, and there was a ticking of a clock which turned into a heartbeat. Yeah. So it's like the poverty cycle, the poverty clock time is running out, um, your life force is draining, and that was this, you know, this almost a primal beat that comes through it. They also had various sound, just like the music, but the music he, he chose to use was um, quite um, contrasting. So mm. songs like Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, even when it's in the midst of this children of the poor work, mm. um, just to give you that ridiculous contrast. Technologies, because it was epic, with the use of costume, we just used lots of representational costume. And these, and because they were multi-rolling, they were chose to discard them all the time. Yeah. So the flexibility of that was important. So something as simple as the Dunedin ladies, for example, both had green silk scarves, which mm. they were able to use and then remove. Everybody was, we didn't want to go for the archetypal stage blacks. Mm. So we used white, old white shirts and old kind of trousers, like mm. suit trousers, browns. Mm. Everybody was the same, um, was layered on top of that to show mm. who they were. And that helped to create status as well, because when you think of the priest, he had this amazing big red priest cassock. For, that's what they're called, isn't it? And it was so, um, not only was it massive, it took up space and it was mm. red and so different, so it contrasted as well 
bringing the colours in and the symbolism of the colours. The set, the set was very much based on my whole set designs. So the idea of making it industrial, but giving us those levels too, and then the creation of whatever was happening onto the stage. So the stage gave beautiful levels, but it was also used to create percussive sounds, mm-hmm. which was really, really effective. It was a very um, imposing set, but it gave you lots of different levels for an actor to move through, up, around and under. So in regards to the interaction, it was it was almost like a character itself. Yeah. Lighting was, was um, a lot of shadowing lighting and a lot of strong colours, not necessarily so naturalistic. Yeah. So when things were evil, we would go for the symbolic use of the reds, we would use we used the back cyclorama lights to take you through the time of the days. They were very punchy, very, very bright. We had the use of a gobo of a cell door as well to show um, when Albany was in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that really created that mood, didn't it, in regards to Albany being in prison. There was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. There really was a lot going yeah. on, and there was a very strong tech crew who actually were able to run with it. The lights and projections were in view of the audience, so that was the idea of just showing them that it was a play and keeping it open. Mm. I think that the technologies, especially the really visible technologies, added a whole heap to it. The dimension that they had made it um, edgier, made Mm. it um, more immediate. I don't know. Um, And then the next is convention. So what do you mean by conventions? So... Well, there was, so the way I see conventions is it's accepted ways of working. So there was one amazing scene where the um, wife of the baker, who mother was pregnant to, comes back and they have an argument, and the argument's completely in silence. Yeah. So So the use of mime, so the idea that that, the unspoken tells you absolutely all you need to know, the anger and the aggression with the red lights. You didn't need, we didn't need to fill anything in that way. Mm. It shows what had happened and it stormed away. So that was a convention of absolutely no sound, so mine. The convention of multi-role, hugely important. We've talked about that, how that talks about the poverty cycle, Albany being every man, mm. how it could happen to anyone. We used a lot of chorus work, and that would be a really interesting one for you to think about. The chorus were almost, at times, were a judgment on to Albany or Big Mother or anybody who had been seen to sin. But also, the chorus were, were able to break the fourth wall and make comments straight to the audience, as were the actors. The chorus were able to speak lines in unison or echo lines they could be a multitude of things they could be a support to Albany um, and take on roles of support of Albany or they could be a detractor Um, they could laugh at Albany or they could make judgment at Albany they became kind of like distant spirits in some scenes and then in others like really close and really like what Crooks said really judgmental so they kind of took on a multitude of roles as a chorus. And the energy that the chorus brought, because they would explode into different roles and move through the space, and so they had a lot of contrast between stillness and movement and sound and no sound. Mm. They created everything that wasn't created by the set or 
by the Albany actors. So they were able to jump in and out and create things in a different way. They sang a lot as well, so the use of choral singing, which helped create place or feeling or mood. They used a lot of repetition as well, and we used repetition in the songs as well. So you'd find the songs were used throughout the whole thing to give this cohesive nature, but also to show you that nothing ever changes. So if you would have had a song um, like Drunken Sailor that Big Mama and Sandy Stewart would sing to the kids, and then when Albany was older and running away from his job because he was bored, he would go through the ports and the soldiers and the sailors there would sing Drunken Sailor. So you'd get this cohesive nature. So whereas it's lots of disjoint scenes, although they do follow in a linear fashion, they did link together because of the choice of repetition of song or repetition of words or even repetition of movement because we did a lot of repetition of movement. And so if a, different was see, if a scene was done but it was repeated in a different way, we would still have the same blocking. So even though the lines were different, the repetition of the blocking showed some kind of familiarity to show that, again, something, you know, well, things never change. We're always going to think of different stuff, and we're going to go, oh my goodness, we should have spoken about, but we didn't. <laughs> um, and so maybe we have to do a part two. See what I mean? Casey's smart, and me, well, lots of arms. Hope it was useful. <laughs>